Uh, hello and welcome to the Sunday Afternoon Podcast with Greg Reese. I am finishing my vacation right now. As you listen to this and uh, as, you, as I'm recording this, it is June 16th and I am going to have a good conversation with an old friend, Freeman, uh, from freemantv.com who I, I think I met back in 2007 for a chemtrails video in Austin, Texas. I tracked him down on the internet and we met up and had coffee. And I uh, haven't seen him in quite a while, but any of you, I know some of you guys listening to the podcast have mentioned Freeman. I know a lot of you guys know who Freeman is. I wanted to reach out to Freeman because the one thing that stands out to me about Freeman's work in the so-called conspiracy theory crowd, whatever you want to call it, is uh, he's got a very open mind. He he tends to go way out there, which is a place I think you have to go if you really want to see the big picture and get the truth. Because in my purview, what's going on is way out there. The 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 political sphere, which for some reason um, now everyone's talking about politics again, which is kind of silly, is uh, is a very minimal part of what's going on. Freeman has a unique perspective on space and NASA and things like that, which is really starting to come up on the news today. So I, I, I gave, I gave him a ring and see, and, and asked him if he wanted to come on the show. Freeman, welcome to my Substack podcast. It's good to have you on the phone. Yeah. Thank you so much, Greg. Uh, it's great to, to be catching up with you again. Can't let it be so long next time. I know. I know. Oh man, but that that chemtrails video, oh man, I mean, I've used that in almost every lecture that I've given. It's like the best video ever. If you guys haven't seen the the music video chemtrails, they live. Of course, my entire YouTube channel is now gone. Yeah, longest running talk show on YouTube, right? I was one of the originals, the OG, uh, first person to have a talk show on YouTube, and then boom, just all gone, just vanished, yeah. you know. I was looking for your YouTube channel recently. I was looking for, um, I did a Britney video like a year ago, and I was looking for your Britney work. And I think that's when I noticed. I was like, oh, you must have been a casualty of, of the war. Um, I'll make sure I put that video. I'm going to put that video in the uh, in the uh, podcast down below. So if you want to see this video that we're talking about, check it out below. And it's got uh, Freeman in the beginning, making the shades. And then me and my friend Flo White uh, throughout the video. And uh, one of my proudest moments is the animation scenes in the yeah. cockpit. That's one of my the favorite things I've ever made on video. It it, it turned out it, it was done super on the cheap. And I just can't believe how decent it ended up looking. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. And I still don't know your secret. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep it a secret because it kind of makes it look a little more special. But it's. It was, like I said, done on the cheap, super simple. I'll just say it was basically cardboard and a glue gun. <laughs> yeah. Epic stuff, man. Epic stuff. That's the way we got to come at it, you know? Yeah. Art with art. That's, I, you know, I agree. I agree. That's, I um, had a, a conversation when I interviewed um, Syed Mohammed Husseini, who is the head of the Persian Iran, Iranian uh, populist movement. I, I had the pleasure of meeting him and interviewing him in California. And uh, off camera, we were having a conversation, and I asked him, how are we going to wake all these people up? 
Because that's still, I think, is that's the big concern. That's the main objective, in my opinion, just to, it's a numbers game. You got to wake people up. And his answer, I'll never forget it. I, I've repeated this. I'm sure some of my listeners have heard me say this before because I repeat it all the time. I, I just think he's right on. He says the art. He says we have to wake him up through the art. And at first I was confused because I was like, being an American, I, 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 I was confused about the art. But what art really is is media. Media is art. It's just that in America, our art has become complete propaganda and complete garbage. I wasn't really thinking of it as art, but that's exactly what it is. And the herd is going to follow along with that media, art, whatever you want to call it, no matter what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. I even uh, produced an album, although I see that you can't even buy that on Amazon. I'm going to have to try and get that back out to the people again. But uh, I, I, I grouped up with a band and we, we put out one album. That, oh, really? Uh, yeah. It's called uh, Molecular, Into the Fire. You doing singing on it? No, I'm the bass player. Right on. Yeah. And it's really know. good. I mean, everybody that hears it, they're like, oh, my God, this is actually good. You know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't put my name on it if it wasn't. But I happen to have the luck of having a Grammy nominated musician staying at my house. So it nice. Helps. Yeah, that'll <laughs> help. <laughs> what uh, neck of the woods are you now? What state? Last time I saw you, I think we were in the state of Texas. I'm in Florida now. Whereabouts are you? You're in Florida. I'm in South Carolina. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's always pleasant here, man. I call it Pleasantville. I mean, even during COVID, you couldn't even tell anything had happened. It was really wild. Well, that's great. Yeah. That's why I ended up in Florida, because um, I was very disappointed with uh, Greg Abbott in Texas during COVID, and um, and I was very jealous of Florida, so that's why I ended up here. I grew well, up I'm probably there. Leaving, I'm probably leaving at the end of the lease, and I'm considering going back to Texas, because... Uh, they're talking about making a digital currency backed by gold, and they're talking about putting secession on the vote. And so that's enough of a reason for me to move back and and vote Texas uh, secession. Some people might say I'm a fair weather fan when it comes to statehood, but look, I was born at Travis Air Force Base. I grew up in Cleveland. I've lived all over this country. I don't really have a state that I feel loyal to. If I feel loyal to any state, it's California because I was born there. I, I think I would. There's a part of me that wouldn't mind dying dying there. It is the geologically, I think, the best place in America, but politically, it's the last place I want to be right now. So, yes, but you should try the weather in South Carolina. It's I've amazing. looked at it. I've been looking. <laughs> I, I, I still haven't decided where I'm going. And South Carolina has been one of the places I catch my eye drifting to every now and then. I do like the Carolinas. I, in the Marine Corps, I lived in North Carolina for a bit, and uh, the uh, the. What is it called there? The coastal area? Oh, man, I can't remember the... Mm, it's escaping me, but there's a beach area. Is it the Isle? Emerald Isle? Is that right? Oh, I, I, can't, I can't think of it. But <coughs> I was on a raft at sunset once out in the ocean there, and um, a fin popped up, a gray fin. And, and I was young. I was probably in my early 20s. And the first thing I thought was shark, because, you know, growing up with Hollywood movies and stuff... But then quick, pretty quickly, I realized, no, these are dolphins. And there were three of them, and they were closely, they were just circling me, like, for a while. And it was, I was just dumbfounded and speechless, you know, like, wow. Pretty cool. Yes. So, 
<clears throat> why don't we start by um, telling us a little bit about your background with the space field. I believe it started from growing up with your father. I believe your father was somehow involved, if I can remember correctly. Yeah, what a mystery. I, I've been digging into dad for a bit now, trying to put some pieces together, trying to figure out you know, who my family is, right? Uh, I did just find a picture of my dad in a historical record with Jimmy Carter on Killer One Submarine. So I went to Wikipedia and I was looking up Killer One. It's also known as Barracuda. And that was the submarine my dad was on. And I was trying I was trying to make some connections between his UFO hunting and his time in the in the Navy. And because my dad worked for Blue Book, right? He worked for Hynek. That's right. And I didn't know any of this, right? Uh, until I was 25, <coughs> when he finally told me and I had learned of Freemasonry and I realized, wait, all these symbols are in my dad's top drawer. You know, <laughs> like, and my friends like, well, your dad's a Freemason. I'm like, no way, you know, because he was teaching me uh, of Crowley and the occult and all of this back in '91. And then I get to that compass square and G, and I'm like, man, I know this symbol. I used to wear it as a kid. I would wear it as my space insignia when I was playing Battlestar Galactica in the 70s, you know. And uh, he's like, well, you know. So I went home from from school from college that day, 25 years old, and you know, asked Dad, are you a Freemason? And he's like, yeah. And he started telling me uh, his story, but then he tossed in, you know, well, I also chase flying saucers for Blue Book. And I was like, wait a minute, what? And he says, uh, yeah, I was stationed on a South Sea island with four radar dishes. And any time a flying saucer flies over, it was my job to report it. And I'm like, wait a minute. So flying saucers are real. You know, and here, I don't know if he was feeding me the information from my youth or if uh, what, but, you know, from the time I could read, I was reading about the Bermuda Triangle, UFOs, Bigfoot, you know, any of the weird things that I could get into. And they were all there in the house for me to read. I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know if I was primed or groomed or whatever by <laughs> this strange man that I had no knowledge of that I lived with, you know, my dad and my mom, right? Like their their story is so bizarre. But so when I was in second grade, uh, we had to move to North Dakota and dad was building nukes. And so we stayed there for a couple of years in that frozen wasteland <laughs> and uh, dad built nukes. And, and that's how I learned of the SALT Treaty because dad had to go back and take the nukes apart again. And what's the SALT Treaty? Uh, Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. Okay. That's when they had determined that they had too many nukes and needed to take them back apart again. Or at least that's the story <laughs> I was told. But... Um, you know, I grew up at Cape Canaveral and I watched almost every rocket launch you could possibly imagine. I had the, uh, was it the Challenger blew up over my house? Me and my friend are in the backyard and he says, you know, what if, what if it just blows up? And then it did. <laughs> and I mean, we were tripping out. We went running inside to see what the hell had happened, watch on the news, you know, but literally I was watching that happen from my backyard. And I ended up in the Civil Air Patrol, and uh, I sold the most candy bars and got to fly in a Cessna around the space shuttle while it launched. So NASA, Cape Canaveral rockets, all of that has always been a part of my my youth, my story. 
Uh, to the point that when in 96, when I saw my very first chemtrails, there was a big X in the sky. And I, I, I was trying to fathom how two rockets would have been launched from opposite directions and form this trail, you know, because that's the only thing I'd ever seen that was like that. That would leave but, a trail in the sky, you mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. They, they don't crisscross rockets, you know what I mean? So it was, it was rather baffling. Uh, that was right when NATO came into America. A lot of people didn't catch that news. I mean, it was headlines. Uh, foreign forces fly in American skies for the first time. And it was NATO in 96. And that's when the chemtrail operation really began here. Huh. Uh, to my knowledge, you know, from my experience. I've never, I heard about them. Uh, before 96, there were uh, probably other NATO countries, you know, I think it was England and some others that were reporting them, but we weren't seeing them here. And then uh, as soon as they announced NATO over America, boom, we had chemtrails. At least that's my experience. Do you think it's a coincidence that the that the words NATO, NASA, and Nazi all sort of begin with N-A and have four letters and capital letters. Does that seem, am I stretching <laughs> it? <laughs> no, oh, they definitely all go together. That's for yeah. sure. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if my dad worked with Werner von Braun, you know, my mom worked with Walt Disney. So it's like, oh, yeah, uh, very interesting. So that's another, and that ties together too. This is going to be fun conversation. So I recently did a couple videos on my Substack for subscribers on the subject of the fake moon landing and space is fake. <laughs> and I'm about to start following those subjects up with sort of a part two, which is that uh, of what's really going on or, you know, and that's hard. Excuse me. It's one of the hardest things to get to because everyone's familiar with the word misinformation and disinformation these days. It's become part of the pop culture, you know, vernacular and stuff. But if you really want to see what that's all about. Look into the UFO phenomenon or the alien phenomenon, and you're going to be swimming in hours and hours and hours of misinfo and disinfo. It's 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 probably where they. It seems like that's where they came up with it, and the whole you know fake moon landing and and the space station and all that is a perfect example. It seems to me, in my opinion, it seems to me that they are doing that uh, primarily to to create a a false narrative to hide what's really going on when you look at, um, I mean, you mentioned Bigfoot. I actually started getting into Bigfoot a couple years ago just to, just to relax at night. I figured it'd be a fun subject of nonsense to, to take my mind off of you know, crazy current events. And within like a night, within like one night of going into Bigfoot, I was like, wait a second, Bigfoot's not a joke. You know, Bigfoot's like, it's part, I mean, it's simply part of the UFO alien story. Um, and they seem to be more free than we are. They seem to be able to come and go as they please uh, or something. We, we seem to be like the ones that are on the farm. But if I were to summarize the whole thing, I would say that we're on some kind of a human farm. We have been for probably thousands of years, probably since Babylon or before, and maybe much longer than that. I would imagine that there is some type of species that has uh, probably some... You know, they're equivalent of like a, a document of a piece of paper that shows that they own us and they are harvesting something from us. I mean, if you go into mythology and stuff, a lot of it says that they're, you know, like the archons are harvesting 
you know, negative emotional energy off of us and, and who knows, but, uh, that's kind of what we're going to dig into tonight to wet everyone's palate, uh, for some of the stuff I'm going to start doing on my Substack on the subject. And, um, and to my bonus, uh, Freeman's going to help me with some notes here to dig into some things that, uh, I've either forgotten about or never heard about before. So let's get into it. Absolutely. You mentioned Werner von Braun and growing up in NASA. Um, how do you feel about my basic summary of what I said about how the, the fake moon landing and space station are, are a front for something else that's going on? Yeah, I grew up at Disney World, too. Just that Wow, and that, yeah, we got to get into that, too. Disney yeah. World's one in Florida, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, it is an interesting topic, and I, I have not fully gone fake space yet, right? Because it's such a part of my existence that I haven't been able to give up on that. But when I look at something like when I speak with flat earthers and the whole dome theory and things, uh, everything that I talk about still fits with, within that theory. Because if we're looking at, say, the International Space Station or the X-37B, the robotic space plane or satellites or X, you know, Starlink and all these things, they're they're not even 150 miles above the Earth, right. so you know we're not talking about outer space when we talk about the International Space Station, right? I agree. Yeah, exactly. So everything tends to fit into this puzzle where you know if you want to believe in the dome, you can, but at the same time, uh, when they when they bomb the moon, as they called it. Uh, well, you know, honestly, it's so hard to know whether you believe it or not, right? So we had uh, <clears throat> Japan hit hit the moon with a with a satellite to determine whether there was water. India then followed that with their Shadrayan satellite, and they hit it and found water. And then America announced, "Hey, we're going to bomb the moon to see if it has water." And I'm like, "Well, wait a minute, you know, we already." We already have India's and Japan's information. You know, it's a cooperative, a scientific endeavor. Everybody's got this this data. So why are we bombing the moon now and spending all this money? It was called the Lacrosse mission, the L C R O S S, uh, and they called it bombing the moon. But it wasn't technically bombing the moon. It was a kinetic <laughs> strike to the moon, right? So the the satellite had a the rocket crashes into the moon where the 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 main capsule, uh, while a satellite hangs back and, and videotapes it so that they can get the particles and all of that stuff going on. Well, I had this going on live on my website as it was occurring. And uh, the second the satellite hits the, the rocket hits the moon, the whole screen goes blank, you know? And it's just like, ah, oh, come on. This is it is too much. You you can't give me all this and then and then uh you know just yeah. have the feed go out, right? So again, you know, there's the question, right? You're still left with that damn question. Um another fascinating one is uh was was the attempt to get to Phobos. So, you know, I haven't written Phobos these is things the off. moon of, of of Mars. Mars, okay. And and we were you're, and we were sending a satellite there. That was the attempt. Yeah, and okay. we have sent many. So uh, one to get back to the moon real fast because I kind of skipped uh, what I was. Well, when they say, hit the but, moon with these satellites, they it rang like a bell, correct? 
Well, uh, according to the early times when that happened, when the, the landing on the moons, as it were, that's what they would say is it rang like a bell. So that is exactly the point. When they struck this with a rocket, a kinetic weapon, basically, uh, then saying that they were seeking water, they, they had already had all the evidence of water. So there wasn't any point for that. So what were they really up to? And what I know is that facilities like HARP, the ionospheric heaters, HARP, ISCAT, Sura, all the different ionospheric heaters around the world uh, are capable of tomography. So if you guys have seen Jurassic Park, you know, they hit the ground and they can see the dinosaur bones in the ground through tomography. But you got to strike it, right, to make the vibrations so that you can get these readings. And so that's what they, in my opinion, had done. They had struck the moon to see if it was hollow. And then they used the tomography of HARP uh, to mm. to determine, or another ionosphere right. heater. To, to see what and was they, in there. Yes. And so they did the same thing for, for Mars's moon, although they didn't strike it. Okay, so here's the mystery. So, so there, you know, we got this one attempt where they can strike the moon, use an ionosphere heater to get tomography and see inside of the moon. And then, uh, so Phobos, okay, Phobos and Deimos. These are the two moons of Mars. They stand, the names mean fear and panic, right? Phobos is fear, Deimos is panic. And uh, these moons were not reported by a single astronomer ever until 1877. That's wild. We've been looking at the Mars with telescopes for 100 years, and no one ever reported moons on Mars. Let me jump in and interject really Uh quick. First, I wanted to say, you know, when I introduced you, I was saying uh, you you get out there and I think you have to get out there. And I think one of the biggest thing that the flat earthers and I and I guess it's fair to throw me into the flat earther crowd um, for lack of a better word. Uh, But I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make in that area is they jump into believing in something new. Like you said, they believe in the dome. My biggest takeaway from it, from my experience, was I don't believe in the heliocentric model anymore. And. And so now I don't really believe in any model because what I what I learned from going down that rabbit hole is that I don't know. Exactly. exactly. So so that means anything's open for discussion. And and now what you're getting into, I remember um, David Icke wrote about how the moon is like the Death Star. It's like an artificial object that was moved into our atmosphere. And then recently, uh, Jason Jason Bershears of Archaics, who is in, if you haven't caught him, you got to check him out. He's incredibly well read, but he's bringing up all these books that that actually do confirm that that talk about a a time when there was no moon. He relates it to, I believe he relates it to the pre-flood times, which he calls the um, the, uh, the the water canopy, where and that's what kind of David Ike gets into is that before the moon, we our atmosphere was more water-like and. It was con- there was no four seasons. It was a constant, like, uh, extru- much more humid than it. Like, we're basically fish right now swimming in a atmosphere of partial water. Um, but apparently back in the day, it was much more water. Okay, I'm done interjecting. Uh, I hope I didn't take you off of your line of thinking too much. No, no. I'll vary on all of that using uh, worlds in collision and the ideas of what could happen to Earth. Well, the reason I the reason I interrupted you is because you mentioned that these moons of of Mars uh, were were recently discovered. 
Yes, yes. And, you know, the, the fact being that there have been telescopes pointed at Mars for a long time. And yeah. It's not like, you like know. thousands of years. Or, I mean, not yeah. telescopes, <laughs> but, but if you look at the, the, the mapping of the stars, they go back kind of before telescopes, technically, really. Right. But so, point is, somebody should have seen them. And it's interesting because the only time moons of Mars ever came up in, in literature was uh, Gulliver's Travels. Hmm. Uh, but then in 1877, which is the exact year that Theosophy was formed, uh, Madame Blavatsky and all of the Nazi ideas of, of the Ascended Masters and all of that, the Aryans, that all started in 1877 with the, uh, and coincided with the arrival of moons on Mars. Well, we have tried, and Russia has tried, when I say we, America and Russia, have both tried to... Uh, Surveil Phobos. And every single satellite from Phobos 1, Phobos 2, Phobos 3, they all lose uh, telemetry. They all get lost once they get close to that moon. There has not been a single one that was able to report back to this uh, scenario. You know, what, what was, uh, you know, the, anyway, we couldn't get any data, right? Now all the satellites get lost going to Phobos. You can go look this up. So just recently, uh, so we had we had Buzz Aldrin, right, 33rd degree Freemason, come forward and start exclaiming that there's a monolith on Phobos. It could have been put there by aliens or by God. I don't know which. Now, what was really strange to me, and actually Infowars just replayed the interview that Alex did with him. Uh, he actually covered the Chandrayaan and, and the he didn't bring up the bombing of the moon. But anyway, this was just a topic on Infowars, and you can go watch the interview that he did with Buzz Aldrin. They just rebroadcast it. But before he did, came on to Infowars to talk about the monolith on Phobos, he was on Dancing with the Stars with Pamela Anderson talking about the monolith on Mars. <laughs> he was on Worldwide Wrestling. With uh, 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 talking about the monolith, very weird audiences to be dropping this little tidbit of information on. Oh it. yeah, pop culture audiences. I mean, yeah, really putting putting it in there in, in this in the whole story. Exactly. It was it was bizarre, right? So I'm like, wait a minute. So uh, we got the Phobos grunt mission going, and it was uh, this more recent uh, attempt to to reach Phobos, and they did, and um, so. I'm watching this all live on C-SPAN, and as they approach Phobos with the satellite, they say they have to go into silent running like a, a submarine in wartime. And so they, they told us on C-SPAN that they are going to have to shut everything down, including the cameras, because the camera lens might run up, uh, disturb the tomography, and that they were trying to see inside of Phobos to find out whether it was hollow. So then they announced, well, this means we will not be able to show you the monolith on Phobos. So that was straight from the NASA hmm. headquarters. Yeah. And they were telling us, you know, they won't be able to see it. But the Phobos grunt mission was successful, and it, it did manage to get past Phobos without being taken out by whatever. It keeps taking out all of the satellites. And uh, they determined it was uh, mostly hollow. So... You know, if we're looking at like potentials of these, you know, we had the um, 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 Numa. I don't never know how to say that that big asteroid that they thought was an alien craft, but Unamuna, Uamua. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
they they have been determining that the the moon is hollow, the moon of Phobos is hollow, and um, putting out these these uh, stories for us to to pick up on, but keeping it somewhat dumbed down and keeping it where other people can't see. So, shall I? I'll carry on. Okay, so yeah, carry on. Um, looking at space travel, looking at this, this, uh, these attempts, we realize that there's just zero chance for rocketry to make you interstellar. I mean, it's not like we could fly to Alpha Centauri, right? Uh, right. It would be generations of people on the craft that would take to get to finally get to Alpha Centauri. But they use other technologies to do such things. And so the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still with Keanu Reeves, which the plot line is humans are so bad that we need a nano robot, giant nano robot to come here and control us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we need extraterrestrial help to, to quell these uh, brutal humans on planet Earth. Anyway, they, they decided to simulcast that movie to Alpha Centauri. So they used the deep wave guide antenna array in Cape Canaveral. I didn't hear this. You're saying the, the Keanu Reeves remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still was, was broadcast from Earth to, uh, to another Centauri. Wow, okay. Which is believed to be the closest inhabited solar system to our own. It definitely has Goldilocks planets, has a perfect sun, could be inhabited. Uh, it, it is the nearest solar system like ours. So, yeah, it took four years for the day the Earth stood still. They simulcast the same day it premiered in the theaters here. But it took four years to get to Alpha Centauri on this uh, deep wave guide wave uh, antenna array. And so it arrived at Alpha Centauri December 21st, 2012. <laughs> I kid you not. Wow. Uh, and, and so Alpha Centaurians were getting to watch Keanu Reeves' horrible <laughs> movie. Uh, and, and, you know, on another one, uh, the iSCAT antenna array. So this is the one in Norway. And the iSCAT is another ionosphere keter, but it uh, they, they used it to shoot a Doritos commercial to Ursa Major. Or, yeah, Ursa Major. So they had a competition to see who could win uh, the advertising going to Ursa Major, and uh, Doritos won, and so a Doritos commercial was sent there. Uh, now, here's where it, it, to tie it kind of together, okay, so Barack Obama becomes president, they give him a Nobel Peace Prize for extraordinary efforts, right? <laughs> and they never yeah. said why he gets <laughs> a Nobel Peace Prize. Extraordinary efforts. Extraordinary efforts. Uh, so he's in Norway, and he's he's there to get his Nobel Peace Prize. Well, this also happens to be Red Button Day for CERN in Switzerland. They're about Red Button to, Day. What does that mean when they fire up their their thing? They're going to turn it on to the most maximum power CERN had ever been at. It was again the whole fear of strange lits and rogue black holes and all the things that could go wrong with powering this thing up beyond what they had ever done before. Just happened to be happening on the day that they, you know, Barack Obama was in Norway getting his Nobel Peace Prize. Well, then a Russian submarine comes out in the White Sea, right there next to Solvabard, where uh, the ice antenna array is, 
and launches a rocket, an ICBM. So now we got the president there. We've got Scat going on, and we have uh, uh, CERN pumping up to maximum, maximum power. At the very least, it's a massive ritual of some kind. Right. Well, it gets even weirder because what happens is a spew of aluminum oxide shoots out the side of the rocket and it begins to spiral there in space or just in the upper atmosphere. And it creates what everybody knows as the Norway spiral. Yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about, but I didn't realize that was the story behind it. Yes. All right. So then the Russians declined. They said, no, no, we did not launch an ICBM out of the White Seas in our submarine. And then they were like, Okay, we did, uh, but we had nothing to do with that spiral. Now, I had been tracking these spirals for quite some time. Like this the Norway spiral was not the first one I have reported on. Actually, one of the more prominent ones that I had reported on was the Cloud of Care. And I found this one really fascinating. You can see this on my Rockfin channel, rockfin.com slash freemantv, uh, that the cloud of care was announced by the military and by, you know, in the press. And I, I watched it live. It was it was on my website. You could watch it live from there on freemantv.com. And uh, so they launched this Brant rocket and it shot up in the atmosphere and then it spun spewing out an aluminum oxide cloud. And they said they were doing this to test for noctilucent clouds. They wanted to know what made noctilucent clouds. What is a oh, noctilucent cloud? It's a cloud that glows in the dark. <laughs> Never even heard of that. Me either. Right? And isn't that the so, same stuff they put in chemtrails? Or, or I mean, they put a bunch of stuff in chemtrails. But isn't that one of the ingredients of, of the chemtrails? The the um, I'm not sure if aluminum yeah. oxide is, but it might okay. be. Uh, I, you know, I know all the others, but I hadn't heard that one. Okay. Um, strontium, barium, all of that good stuff, but. Uh, when the news reported on the cloud of care, which was, you know, it's, it probably got a Wikipedia page, you know what I mean? It's not like it was hidden. And they reported it, and I have the news report in my video that, oh my God, something just opened up in the sky last night. We think it might be aliens. And they had all these little old ladies that were there witnessing it, like, oh, the sky just ate it up. It was, uh, we think it's aliens. And, and the news was like, well, we'll never know. And I'm like, what yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we, we knew when it launched, you know what I mean? I could tell you what rocket launched it, you know? Um, but so. What, well, the same what thing I, was with the Norway spiral. The Norway spiral was considered a mystery. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So when you start to take all this together, the ability to transmit large amounts of data, say the day the Earth stood still, sending that to Alpha Centauri or a Doritos commercial to Ursa Major using that very iSCAT antenna array, uh, then you see that they can send uh, large packets of information, perhaps even uh, a mind or a soul. I don't know yet, but uh, potentially this would be the the trafficking uh, to interstellar trafficking. Uh, you would use these the spiral, I guess, to open up some sort of frequency in there, and then they pulsed it with the ionospheric heater ISCAT while CERN was at maximum power. All these things going on while while Barack Obama standing there in Norway, and. 
so I think that's where they're going with space travel is is this uh, ability to transmit your soul into a receptive body on the other side okay. using these technologies. I think I'm kind of on the same page. I tend to think, um, like when I say space is fake, what I'm referring to is the space that we're shown and the space that we're told about. The idea that if you go far enough out, you'll eventually get to this vacuum of space. And <coughs> that doesn't add up to me, but... Um, yeah, it really doesn't. No. When do you see a vacuum next to a non-vacuum? It just no, doesn't and, happen. And, right, exactly. And so... It, it, what the model that makes the most sense to me is the Kabbalistic model that we are inside of a sphere and that we're stuck in here and that there is a way out, but the only way out is sort of within. So there's like an inner space connection to, or, or what was the word you just use? Um, um, I can't remember the word you use, but like interdimensional or, um, so I, I, I think there is like, space you know or in a, or some type of a i mean there's there's somewhere to go because it, it does explain right. a lot like i said i try not to believe in anything but it does explain quite a bit there does seem to be a, a major effort of trying to get out of here yes yes exactly and i think they realize that yeah this is the way but then you know as everyone agrees you can't carry a soul in a computer Right. Yeah. No, no matter how big the grid is at CERN pushing exabytes of information. I mean, exabytes of information, guys, it takes five exabytes to hold all knowledge of mankind. Right. That's how big an exabyte is. Right. We can have everything we ever knew and every song ever recorded, every thought ever made would fit into five exabytes. And that's the type of uh, processing speed that CERN's grid, uh, their major uh, network computer system, is capable of. I'm sure there are probably more now with the D-Wave quantum computers and things of that nature, but yet CERN holds the largest known uh, network of computers in the world. And it should be capable of mind transfer technologies. Exabytes is plenty of, of transfer power of knowledge or data to clone uh, a mind, right? But can you clone a soul? Can you hold a soul in a computer? And I agree with most saying no, that's just not not possible. So it seems like what the next plan would be is to inject us all with something that was a transmitter, maybe hmm, graphene oxide, uh, something that's capable of taking and receiving and sending data and uh, use an internet of bodies. Ah. Now, a lot of people think that the Internet of Bodies would be just simply a control mechanism. You know, you're now connected to your CBDCs and, you know, your credit score and your social credit score and all of that. Well, sure, that's for the people. But if there's an Internet of Bodies that is connecting and, and making a, a network like this, then it's possible for the elite then to live forever in their little soul bodies inside of this <laughs> network. Yeah, it does seem to me like that's a big part of I mean, the one thing you can definitely count on with these elitists is that when they do something big, it's never for just one reason. I mean, it's for one, and it makes sense because that's not very efficient. If you're going to, you want to suck every little bit you can get out of it. So I'm sure there's several reasons that they were doing the vaccines and depopulation is definitely one of them, I'm sure. So is control and tracking, like you're saying. But it definitely occurs to me that a big, huge part of it is they're trying to experiment with 
doing what you're talking about, uh, trying to see um, if these technologies will work. I'm sure they've already been doing experiments behind the scenes. <clears throat> and it is sort of the ultimate satanic thing because uh, if you get into, if you study religion and and even in the occult, you're going to find that, like I just mentioned Kabbalah and the fact that we're inside of a sphere. According to um, the same you know, doctrine, the way out is within, you know, meaning through prayer and meditation, meaning that our bodies are already organically, our spirit, I guess you could say, is already sort of built for that. And it, it takes discipline. I know I can't say this is true, but this is what the stories say. Apparently, um, when you reach a certain level of, you know, you can say so-called enlightenment or whatever, then you're able to do that and you're able to come and go. That's what the Buddhists say. The Buddhists say once you reach a certain level, you can then leave this place. And if you choose to, you can come back and be a bodhisattva and sort of help other people leave it as well. And so the satanic version of that would just simply be like, uh, screw all that. You know, I still want to like do drugs and party all the time or whatever, because <laughs> you kind of have to discipline your life in, uh, according to the sages in order to do it spiritually. So it seems to me that that's what they're, they're trying to replicate that with technology. Exactly. Yeah. I, and, you know, they are all related to Vlad, Vlad the Impaler. So a uh, little vampirism's not outside of the. <laughs> right. Uh, they vampirize all of our souls. But yeah, everything's much stranger than people think. And. You know, it's funny because when I talk about these things, people are like, oh, well, Freeman talks about the secret space program. And I'm like, no, not at all. <laughs> this is all open. This is all right here in front of your face. And there's, you know, I'm using news uh, to cover these stories, not not some secret space program. That's a whole different story. I'm going to I'm making a note right now so I don't forget. But I want to link to this if it's still if I can still find it on YouTube. One of my favorite videos that you ever made was. Um, speaking of the weird, and you just said everything's a lot weirder than than you, we think. I couldn't agree more. Um, one of my favorite videos you made is the one on Obama being a clone of um, the Pharaoh. I can't remember the Pharaoh's name. Um, Akhenaten. Akhenaten, and his uh, and Michael Obama also being a a clone. And even the children being clones. It's very, very, It's. I, I'm sure I could probably find it somewhere. I have a note here to throw it up. So look for it down below on the Substack here. Yeah, Aliens from Hell is the one that you can still find because okay. it's on Vimeo. Uh, right, you can find it on freemantv.com as well. Aliens from <sighs> Hell. Is it was my 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 greatest work for sure, and uh, I had the the great pleasure of showing it to uh, Foster Gamble. Uh, he was there in attendance at the audience when I first uh, did Aliens from Hell, and each time I gave the presentation, somebody that I spoke about in it was in the audience. <laughs> you know, somebody big like you know, the Gambles and Rex Diabolus Church and others. <clears throat> it's uh, Aliens from Hell, man. Uh, it, they, yeah, to get before the cloning. Well, I try to figure out the the best way to to approach this because I I do love talking about this. Uh, I think I think it's best to just leave it as it is. Personally, I think that's the, that's my favorite thing about that video is is from what I remember, there's not even any speaking in it. It's simply. Oh uh, well, visuals. that's just the short. Yeah, short the short. Little, 
Yeah. Well, I'll put the whole, I'll put the full video up there and then I'll, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll point out where the short is, but it's, it's just, I think it's best absorbed without just looking and, and thinking about it. Cause it is, especially now what we know about cloning technology and, um, and the whole thing. I mean, now they're announcing now publicly that they're able to make complete humans without even cloning, without even sperm and an egg. Well, a little behind the scenes stuff then, because this is what was so fascinating to me. Here I was trying to prove this. Okay, so I had made an artwork of Barack Obama and split the face with Akhenaten. And Akhenaten, if you guys don't know, is is venerated by every secret society on the planet. Yeah. He is uh, supposedly the founder of the Rosicrucian order. Uh, Freemasonry has rooms in every Grand Lodge. Uh, dedicated to Akhenaten and Sirius, they they tend to go together. If you go to the Philadelphia Lodge, Benjamin Franklin's Lodge, I highly recommend guys going to see this lodge. It's astounding, and they have a whole room there dedicated to to Akhenaten. And the whole time Barack Obama was in in office, uh, the Akhenaten display was touring the the globe with a giant Anubis. Uh, the dog of the underworld uh, following around. It went to Texas. And finally, Anubis ended up landing at the uh, Denver International Airport is where it finally stopped. But uh, so the whole time Obama was in power, the Sakonatan display was going around. But behind the scenes, I made this artwork with Akhenaten and Obama. And then I decided to put an asteroid hurtling towards his head as a uh, because that was uh, believed to be the next threat and i really thought that that would be what they brought out next and so i did the artwork and then it was months later they announced oh my god there's an asteroid hurtling towards planet earth and it's going to destroy all life in 2029 or 2036 depending on which time it hits us uh but we have to worry and 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 uh, uh it's called apophis and here I am with my artwork of Akhenaten, Obama, and an asteroid, and the asteroid is called Apophis. Apophis is the Satan of Akhenaten's religion. Now, let's just realize that Akhenaten created monotheism. That's where it comes from. And that's why he's venerated by all these secret societies like Freemasonry. And the asteroid that that was you know a premonition in my it wasn't really even a premonition but you know the apophis came from a group of earth or near earth objects known as the aten which is akhenaten's god and so i mean just having these things tie together where it was astounding for the researcher right yeah. i'm just like oh my god it's it's his satan you know it's the serpent deity of destruction of his you know apophis eats raw every night you know and um it makes me think of a question that i have for you that um i've uh, one of the biggest curiosities i've had throughout all this is um like you're like everything you're talking about is like it's very ritualistic it's in it not only ritualistic but it's very large scale ritualistic if you look into, um, I think Richard Hoagland did the work with the NASA Apollo launches, how the trajectory and the math and everything with all with all the Apollo launches were completely ritualistic. They were all based around um, ancient occult myth or legends or whatever you want to say. Once again, a very expensive 
ornate, uh, elaborate way of of these strange rituals. And so what I've always been curious about is why? Like you would, you, when you, you're left thinking it, it obviously has some type of power behind it. There's obviously some kind of uh, benefit. Otherwise, why go through all the trouble? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I think that they do love to throw it in our faces. And I was one of the first maybe the first to, to start to get into these high-profile rituals. I don't know of anyone that was doing it before me, but... Um, no, you're definitely one of the few people out there that... Uh, one, yeah. Because it, it started with me with the Gulf War and the fact that Saddam Hussein was claiming to be Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated. Right. And then they used the mother of all bombs, the Moab, to bring on the shock and awe. Well, it was the Moabites the Moab, mother of all bombs, and the Moabites of the Bible that were fighting Nebuchadnezzar. So right. here is Saddam claiming to be Nebuchadnezzar. Meanwhile, we use the Moabs to come in and and strike him with the Shachanah, which is the Hebrew feminine force, right? The divine feminine in their uh, in the Hebrew religion and Kabbalah is the Shekinah. And so Shekinah, Shekinah, you could see if you put oh, them yeah. together, you know, it's pretty much Shekinah, Shekinah, Shekinah. So, you know, immediately there was weird rituals going on. And it was like, you know, here's a leader of a nation who's having artworks depicted of himself as Nebuchadnezzar and having paintings done and all of that. So it wasn't like some flight of fancy. It wasn't, you know what I mean? It was in your like, face, like you yeah. said. It was, yeah. And he believed it, right? Like, I mean, he wasn't hiding it. Yeah. Either way. So that was when, and then then the Y2K ritual came. And that was the one that really blew my mind. Because there I was just watching the whole situation for Y2K, waiting for the computers and electricity to shut down. Not that I ever believed any of that. Now, Y2K, for those of us that were awake, uh, was like 2020 for people today. Uh, we were seeing plastic coffins being stockpiled everywhere. FEMA was taking yeah. over and building camps, and um, yeah, all of all of the things that the the real ID was coming out. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, 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 for those of us, like you said, for those of us who were awake, it did feel like a bit of a, a big awakening back then. It was. Um, it was everything was seemed to be coming to a head. Yeah, I expected 2000 to be 2020, like uh, what what happened for 2020. I was expecting in 2000, although I thought it'd be a lot worse, you know, all these yeah. plastic coffins that could hold three bodies each, you know, <laughs> like uh, so. And at that same time, Milosevic was uh, announcing on the news uh, that the U.S. was using earthquake weapons against them. Right. Uh, Milosevic had, did not hold back. Neither did Putin. Uh, about using harp and and ionospheric heaters to cause earthquakes and floods in the Middle East, uh, this was uh, you know this was in the news, guys, back in in '99. What do you think uh, of the recent guy? Uh, I just did a video. I guess he's not that recent. I guess he's been around talking about it for a year now. But Stephen Greer just had him on this week at his uh, disclosure. Uh, the Antarctica. <clears throat> yeah, the guy who said there's a that Antarctica has a uh, neutrino machine that's capable of starting earthquakes. Yeah, yeah. There should be no questions in anybody's mind anymore uh, that that's the case. 
I think okay. so. I think I think uh, there's definitely, obviously, some major stuff hidden in Antarctica, and I definitely think that earthquakes are being, <laughs> they're able to trigger earthquakes for sure. You know, film the 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 trip to the Admiral Byrd's uh, trip to Antarctica. No, who was along there? The Walt Disney Production Company is the one that filmed that documentary. No way. <laughs> yeah. Real? Oh, yeah. Along with their documentary, UFOs Are Real, and their other one, Atlantis Is All right, True. That's very interesting. Yeah. That's a great segue uh, to Disney. Um, I, um, the, uh, one of my, I'm a big fan of Kathy O'Brien. I've had a lot of people tell me they think she's, full of crap and she's she's a good uh, friend of mine disinfo i oh i would love to meet her i'm a big fan um her book was a was a very powerful uh, transformation extremely powerful book when i read that in More that fun. book she says uh she says that she was told in the in the mind control she was told that aliens are in, are in charge and aliens are behind all this she believes that was a lie and according to her at least in in the nineties, when she wrote that book, she said that she believes it's actually artificial intelligence that's running everything from DARPA and the alien story is just a cover story. And I believe in that book, I might be wrong. I might've heard this from you. I can't remember, but I believe it was her who was saying that, um, that DARPA, that through underground tunnels, there is a connection between DARPA and Disney. Does that ring a bell? No, but I, I absolutely believe it. I mean, every ride in Disney World is sponsored by a military industrial corporation. I mean, Siemens had their corporate logo on Auschwitz, and now it's on uh, space, Spaceship Earth there in Epcot, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, you walk into Disney World and you've given them everything. They take your fingerprint, your ID, your credit card, your facial recognition, everything as you walk in. Uh, and then the, you get in that big buckyball, but it's sponsored by Siemens. And uh, they tell you exactly how the Invisible College created civilization and everything. And then they take your picture on the ride. And as you end the ride, your picture goes straight over to your home map. And it shows, you know, it, it, they just database every single body that walks through Disney wow. World just openly. You know, you could pay a little extra and have your face immortalized <laughs> there if you wanted to. Uh, what do you think DeSantis is up to? What do you think's going on there with the the what appears to be some type of battle against Disney? Yeah, it's, I found that really curious, but I hadn't tracked it too much. Uh, yeah. See, now. If I, I did a deep, deep study into Walt to try and see if these 33rd degree Freemasonry uh, beliefs were were true. I've said it myself, you know, for, Walt Disney was 33rd degree Mason because I hear it over and over again. But then I did a deep, deep. Now, folks, I have been to every Grand Lodge in America. I have been to so many Masonic lodges here and around the world. And they are not shy, right? If you walk into the Temple of the 33rd, which I've done numerous times, I'm friends with the librarian there. They love me there. Um, uh, they have all the pictures of everybody, you know, Buzz Aldrin, John Wayne, you know, just on and on. You can even go to their website and the pictures are all there. I mean, Roy Kroc of McDonald's, he's there, you know, uh, Dave Thomas of, of Wendy's, he's there, right? So if Walt Disney was a Freemason, 
they would have venerated him. There would, would be, I mean, so, yeah. uh, you know, there would I've be heard some, some people say he was a decent guy and then they just took his whole company from him. I don't, I don't believe that either. He was yeah. a bit of a dick and probably a child molester, but I can't say for sure. But sure. there's there's enough nefarious stories. I've been in the yeah, I've been in the subterranean caverns of Disney. That's what we got to talk about. And I've been, you know, to their cast parties that were, uh, well, we see it in the streets now, but it was a little astounding back then. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, there was all kinds of LGBTQ. I want to go uh, there. Yeah. I want to hear about your Disney stories. I I know. Uh, for those of the for those of you that don't know, it's it's public knowledge that there's an entire tunnel system underneath Disney. The the official story, and I'm sure there's a uh, there's a lot of truth to this as well. Is that it's it's um it's like a theater. It's like a in a in a theater you got underground tunnels and backstages because it's a great way to you know to move the actors around and all that stuff. And you're putting on a show. Exactly. But uh, according to I, like I said, I believe it was Kathy O'Brien. Um, she suffered quite a bit of MK Ultra. Uh, like when she was young, she was brought to Disney and then brought into these tunnels and into rooms that she claims were also like DARPA run for MK Ultra and stuff. What can yeah. you tell us about these tunnels? Um, you know, Disney has their own police force, right? They are their own nation. They 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 control Disney World and and all surrounding areas. And my parents actually were involved in buying the properties that they used to build Disney World. Really? <laughs> yeah. I wish my parents were still around. I have so many questions. Oh, oh my, my God. God. They, they must have been tight with the CIA, I think, because I believe the CIA were pretty heavily involved in buying that land, too. Yeah, probably. I mean, my mom, you know, shook Walt Disney's hand and was, you know, close to him. And I even have Mouseketeer certificates that were handed to my mom from Walt Disney. I have a whole packet of those. I wonder what they're worth. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, there were a lot of close ties, but you know, uh, I I I don't know what I can say about it because I mean, one thing I can say is that every ride in Disney World is sponsored by a military-industrial corporation. Right? That alone is is fascinating. <laughs> You you just you, they don't hide with it. the LGBT now. Like uh, the recent pictures came out of the the gay parade this month, uh, sponsored by Lockheed Martin and and all that stuff. Crazy. Yeah. And Dad working for Martin Marietta building nukes. I, I believe Martin Marietta had a ride in there too. Uh, you know, so that's how they sponsor all these programs and everything. It's everybody going to Disney World. Well, meanwhile, they're databasing all of you, and then yes. All kinds of children go missing, and uh, so there's there's absolute ties. Okay, and I, I want to say, you know, I was saying that Walt, there is zero evidence that he was ever a Freemason. Uh, Roy right. Roy Disney, uh, you can go see his membership, right? No problem. Like when I walked into the temple, Roy, is Roy a brother? His I know brother, that's a, yeah. it's a familiar name. Okay, yeah, it's his brother. So Roy, Roy absolutely was a Freemason without question. You can go check it. And I was going to say, like, when I went to the Temple of the 33rd, I mentioned my family and the lady, the librarian who became my friend, uh, came back and, and had their membership cards, you know, my granddad and my dad. And so they knew I was part of the family, I guess. But interesting. Uh, so. These things are not hidden, and and therefore, you know, everybody constantly saying Disney was thirty third. Well, 
they they use like Club 33 as their example, or the mm-hmm. fact that uh, Hiram's working tools are on Thunder Mountain. Okay, so these are all true. Hiram is is who you pretend Hiram to be. Hiram Abiff. Yeah, when yeah. you're going through the Masonic ritual, you pretend to be Hiram Abiff, and and these things are at Disney uh, Disneyland and Disney World. So. The corporation itself is Freemasonic, right? The heads of, of Disney Corp are Freemason, uh, the things inside of her. But there is zero evidence to say that Walt ever was. Uh, the, his gravestone, nothing. His funeral, nothing. His, you know, my dad had a, a Masonic funeral. You know, you know, I'm not allowed to go, right? You're not allowed to go. Family ain't allowed to go. Hmm. Um, but... Uh, there's no not a single single sign, but but Disney Corp, <laughs> Disney Corp, it is totally uh, DARPA, Freemason, CIA, all of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't prove that, but well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, mean I, I can and, prove all the military industrial complex. Come, yeah. And I imagine it probably is fairly related to Freemasons. One of the um, one of the most interesting stories that I came across in years. Uh, uh, is the orphan trains in the 1800s and the uh, odd fellow lodges that were basically like baby factories and um, over a quarter million orphans were shipped across the country and sold in uh, in a 50 year period and then you look into uh, the fact that a lot of these people were born in the lodges and a lot of the, and then grew up as a member of the lodge. And then Hiram Abiff, this is what made me think of this because Hiram Abiff, Hiram Abiff is the story of Hiram Abiff is he's the orphan son, right? And so the idea, you put that together with this idea of getting their hands on the children, uh, what they're doing now of just trying to bypass the family unit and, and just, you know, directly have their own children that they raise. And when you think about control and power, I mean, it's obviously makes sense. Like uh, if you can, if you can create your own person, then, I mean, you kind of own that thing. You know, it's like your own little slave, you know? And so if you're into control and slavery, then there's no better way to just go direct to, to, the, to the baby and bypass the parents, you know? My granddad was a, was a train engineer during that time. He died at 102. But it wouldn't surprise me one bit if my grandfather wasn't involved in that orphan train. Right. And and deep into this, and my dad seemed to be some sort of mind control victim as well. There are stories and weird things that we can't quite sort out. But I had my dad scheduled as my first whistleblower guest for my television show in 2005, and he did not wake up the day of the interview. He died that day. You're kidding. I never heard that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> And he wasn't that old. No one knew he was going to die. You know, he's like 65 and none of us expected him to die. I mean, the, the, the trip was scheduled. Everything was set to go for me to interview him. I was in Texas. He was in Florida. I was going to fly back. And then I got word that he died. Huh. And it sounds like he's pretty open with you. No, about these no, things. no. He, he's this man that I never knew and didn't okay. ever talk his whole life was top secret. Well, he that told you never. that he he told you he was hunting UFOs and stuff. That's one day. Cool. Yeah, one, one day. day. Okay. Yeah, uh, when I when I finally confronted him on Freemasonry, he he brought that up. So yeah, here I am studying this stuff since I was ten years old. He never once mentioned it, right? Like you know, my entire existence, and then finally, and that's all I got from him too was that one sentence. 
Uh, one little description of him being on the South Sea Island is all I ever got from him, except for that he worked directly with Heineck. Uh, but so I've been trying to hunt him down, you know, I'm trying to figure this guy out. And like I say, I just found his picture with him on with Jimmy Carter on Killer One Submarine. They were on that first Killer Submarine together. That and, was Jimmy Carter when he was in the service? Yeah, yeah, you can go look it <laughs> That's up. That's interesting, too. And when Jimmy wrote my dad, I have the letter. Uh, when he became president, my dad wrote Jimmy, and Jimmy wrote back. Jimmy has a story of seeing a UFO, too. Exactly. He was the one UFO president. Yeah, very interesting. Uh-huh. Oh. So my family's like this huge mystery to me, but I, you know, I would not I have I have the document showing that my granddad was an engineer for the trains at that time and president of uh of the the union of some sort. I have all that these documents that show all this and I'm starting to <laughs> figure out who my family is. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, my mom was raised by a witch in France uh, because my grandfather, who I never knew, uh, was an anti-Nazi and mom had to go into hiding. Her mother had already died uh, of natural causes, but the war was coming on or was still pretty good. And, and uh, she got shipped off to France while my granddad was up in the woods hiding. And then my mom was raised by this witch. And they would, she would teach her these rituals that were pretty wild, uh, dancing and and chanting under the full moonlight and stuff. And people used to come for hundreds of miles to visit this witch and have her cure warts and weird things like that and cattle and stuff. And hmm. she was renowned. Uh, Folks, I told you this guy is interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put the links below, but you can check him out at rockfin.com forward slash Freeman TV. Uh, freemantv.com and I'll have all the links below uh, never a dull conversation <laughs> Freeman let me ask you this because um, this is some of my favorite subject matter that we're talking about um, if I were to guess uh, what's going on uh, two things come to my mind one thing is um, nothing and they're just prodding and trying to figure out themselves <laughs> Or they are setting up a narrative to to have what now in pop culture everyone's talking about it, which is kind of cool, the fake alien invasion. And what I suspect this fake alien invasion is all about is if you look into if you look into everything, history, every any religion, the occult, you're gonna find Stories of non-humans, whatever you want to call them, giants, Nephilim, uh, the Nagas, whatever you want to call them. There are uh, the reptilians, whatever. These non-humans, um, some people call them demons, and I think I'll, I'll go with demon for the conversation. And all the same stories will tell you that these creatures used to be up on the surface with us and live side by side with us until... Um, and some some accounts says that humanity sort of chased them away. And there's other accounts of the flood, you know, the flood chasing them away or whatever. For whatever reason, they are now in the underworld, hiding and ruling us via Judas goats, you know, whatever you know, our Rockefellers and Rothschilds, or whatever like that. And so, what I think sometimes is 
this whole fake alien invasion is just there. It's an excuse for them to come back up to the surface and stop. They want to rule from above again. And so the, you know, the, they're setting things up so that we believe in aliens and then they're setting us up to be a scared of them, to be, to be frightened of them so that they can come. Some aliens can come and, and attack and then some good aliens can come and save the day. And then once the save, they save the day, they can also give us, you know, turn us on to some, you know, exotic energy things that have been around for a long time, but we just don't know about. And then, uh, you know, give us all these, you know, nice things and be like, so, hey, guys, can like, you know, we be your gods? Are you cool with that? Can we just like be your gods up here? And, you know, does that sound crazy and far fetched? Am I watching too many Hollywood movies? What, what, are, what are your thoughts on like the big picture of? of I'm right. The- I'm right there with you. Yeah, Greg, uh, you know. To me, extraterrestrials coming here from some interstellar travel, you know, flying here in a flying saucer and then crashing in New Mexico didn't make any sense at all. No. Uh, but subterranean, I mean, the very first UFO was a USO. You know, it came from underwater and uh, submariner, right? It was, uh, but yes, okay, so let's let's take a few things into account. So there was a man, Nicholas Rorick, and he has a, he's an amazing artist, but he was also this guru, and he was Henry Wallace's guru. The Scott? The Scott? Scott's uh, Wallace? No, no. Wallace was the uh, Secretary of Agriculture. Ah, I got you. Okay. And then he became president. Uh, well, while he was Secretary of Agriculture... He he funded Nicholas Rorick to go to all these subterranean chambers and meet with these ascended masters in the subterranean worlds. And uh, Rorick painted all of this. I have a video with all those paintings. And it was Nicholas Rorick that convinced Wallace that they needed to finally show the reverse side of the presidential seal. And convinced him to put the eye in the pyramid on the dollar bill. So the very guy that the government sent to these subterranean uh, meetings with uh, ascended Tibetan masters and I was such. just going to bring up the Tibetans because the Tibetans claim that these Vimana spacecrafts are like buried deep within the Himalayas. Like there's access points you can and if you open up, if you study Tibetan Buddhism, you don't have to go that far to get into that one of the main purposes of the practice is to contact other you know entities yeah well Rourke did it and uh, painted it and was funded by the u.s government and convinced the the president or the you know soon to be president to put the pyramid on the dollar bill and that's when americans finally saw the reverse side of the seal what do you what's the connection do you think between the eye and the pyramid and the and these creatures well, that's a good one. I, I, you know, it is very reptilian. If we, it is, we're yeah, honest I, I, about I, definitely, it. yeah. Uh, people don't realize reptilians don't have slit eyes. Uh, cats do, right? Reptilians have round pupils. If you, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah. So it it does fit. Okay. So all the evidence to me definitely suggested that 
the we were dealing with the subterranean race. Even if we were just talking about the greys before we knew anything else, uh, they're subterranean. I mean, yeah. they're ant people, you know. Yeah. And I hope you have the Anasazi stories of mm-hmm. the ant people, and you know. And then you've got, of course, AI, right? So we've also got the Dark Knight satellite that's supposed to have been orbiting this planet for thousands of years, and the ability to send ones and zeros is very simple. You know what I mean? We do it mm-hmm. on fiber optics just by light, no light, light, no light, 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 no light. You know, that's your mm-hmm. zeros and ones. It's so simple, right? So anything could be ancient, ancient, and still connect with the the new computer systems that we are creating because uh, binary code is binary code. I never code. thought of that. That's a great point. You're right. The, 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 the absolute simplicity of binary code kind of tells you that it's almost – I mean, you could say it's ancient. Yeah, and – you could then set up humanity. I mean, who else can build computers? You know, no one but us, computers and robots. That's we're like the progenitors, right? We're the genitals of robots. Uh, yeah, we and it couldn't be done without humans and mining the planet for gold and resources and all of that. I mean, these type of stories. I don't know. I mean, I even went so far as when Japan put a giant platform on the International Space Station for no particular reason. Uh, I was like, oh, well, now we know where all the gold in Fort Knox went. Uh, you know, they're getting ready to give it back to the gods. And, you know, yeah, because all the gold's missing now, folks. Right. You know, it's missing of- under the Twin Towers, missing under Fort Knox. All the gold's gone because we're giving it back to the gods. What do you think about the gold and um, the, the supposed gold in the Grand Canyon? I hadn't heard about that. It's it's new for me. I'll send you a link. It's very it's very interesting, but um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I don't want to. I don't want to switch gears there. But yeah, it definitely feels like we're dealing with a subterranean species that have been us back then. Maybe even a, a more uh, genetically perfect human that uh, then had to go subterranean and during the, the catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And now they're they're gray, and you know what would you become if you were subterranean for you know, right. generations and generations? And then, of course, then we talk about how all of these uh, rectal scans are going on. Why are the grays so uh, you know wanting to constantly take uh, samples from humans and cattle mutilations? And why would it keep going on if they were an extraterrestrial race just trying to sort things and find what's on planet Earth? And it wouldn't go on for a hundred years. We wouldn't keep seeing abductions and cattle mutilations and things they would have had all that data already but if like you're saying they're trying to get back to the surface then they would and which is what i agree with uh they would need this genetic data they would need to continue to uh gather these samples for you know their genetic uh, cloning and and their eventual return to the surface why do they like cows i mean in my research um as a just as a human trying to be healthy uh, grass-fed beef is my main protein because I find it to be the absolute most nutritious uh, protein. Um, is that why you think? Just because it's our main food, or like yeah. because cows have the closest genetic structure to humans? Really? Yeah. I think I've heard that before. Yeah. Okay. And that's why they do a lot of the genetic studies on them. Uh, you know, Flo White, Neil. Yeah. Uh, me and Neil had a friend in high school back in the 80s, who had a side job at the Cleveland Clinic back then during high school. So this would have been like 87, 88, where his job was just to sort of stand outside of a room in a hallway and um, 
and uh, stand there, basically. I can't remember exactly what the deal was. Not necessarily security, because he was a kid. But he got to look inside the room every now and then, and he claimed that there was a cow. It was just a cow, like, suspended from the ceiling, and they had all kinds of things hooked up to it. And there were, like, clear, like, there were sections of the cow that were, like, clear patches so you could actually see inside of the cow. Uh, the poor damn cow. I mean, you know, what a way to live a life. But uh, that's the Cleveland Clinic, which is pretty high up there. So uh, when I heard that, I imagine there's got to be a relationship between that and the and these cattle mutilations somehow, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, here's a quick... Sorry, yeah. everyone, if I'm jumping all over the place, but that's what... I mean, I'm just... There's so many interesting things here. Here's another thing, Freeman, that I remember coming from you... I think you only, and um, and I, I'll just say what I remember is that there is a relationship between the Vatican and the fish people, if I'm getting this right, mm-hmm. and the British Crown and the reptiles. Am I getting right. it right or am I getting it wrong? No, you got that right. Okay, could you tell us about that? Now, uh, first off, I recommend if people to Google, like, look at the Pope's hat. Right. And compare it to a fish head. Uh, and, and compare all, it to the God Dagon. Kinds of, the, the Dagon, right. Dagon, yeah. Yeah. Well, the Dogon are the people that met the fish people. Dagon is the uh, god of the fish people. Okay. Uh, basically, out of the Cthulhu mythos, out of H.P. Lovecraft, is where the whole story of Dagon and the old ones uh, really took form, although I'm sure it was in existence before H.P. Lovecraft, but that's where you get, you know, when I started getting into the merfolk a long time ago, I mean, all the way back, you know, I've been a huge fan of Atlantis. Like mermaids. Yeah. 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 And Patrick Duffy as the man from Atlantis, if anybody ever remembers that TV show. Um, I always wanted to be him, you know, And, and so I had this obsession with the fish people. And then as I started to learn of the occult, and again, I, I started that study in 91. And like I said, I was 24, I think, at that time. And just uh, just starting to learn words, Freemason and uh, occult and esotericism. Never heard these words before. And honestly, no one had, right? This was not, it's not like it is now. I mean, we, we got the World Wide Web and everybody knows everything now. But uh it it came to my attention that H.P. Lovecraft was uh, was considered to be killed for giving away too much information, much like Mozart and his uh, flute. But yeah. uh, so I decided to go read H.P. Lovecraft, and the next thing I know, I'm reading about fish people and how they're uh, genetically altering humans and 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 turning everybody into fish beings. And these old ones and the old gods from the subterranean and the submariner worlds of uh, Cthulhu. So I was a little shocked about that. Um, Now, I drew a picture when I was 10 years old of four space shuttles with a symbol on them. And then I put this, what I thought was a spiral galaxy in the middle, and then a winged serpent on the other side. And this is a picture I show often because I remember this, yeah. it, it blows me away, right? Like everything I tell you guys blows me away, you know what I mean? Even though it was my life. But um, the symbol that I put on all those space shuttles was a little curved line with a straight line through it. And I remember at 10 years old drawing it and going, damn, that symbol's not that cool. Oh, well, and I put it on all of the different space shuttles. 
Well, it turns out that that was the symbol the Dogon were given for the star Sirius. And so I'm reading the Sirius mystery, which I thought was just like another maybe, you know, conspiracy type book, but it's not. He's a very uh, uh, scientific author that, you know, is a doctorate and all that. Uh, but the Sirius mystery got into the Dogon and their uh, knowledge of Sirius and how they could possibly know anything about Sirius since they lived in mud huts to this day, you know. Uh, but they had all this knowledge of Sirius being a trinary star system instead of a binary, and we only figured that out in the 70s and things like that that they shouldn't have known. And then they showed the symbol that they had for Sirius. Well, there I am, and and I'm like looking at the picture in the book, uh, the serious mystery, and I'm like, oh my god, that's that same curved line, straight line X that I put on my space shuttles, and I ran back and I grabbed the picture, which is the only artwork I have from my youth, and uh, you know they're exact, right? Then the Columbia space shuttle has a tether experiment, and they drag this giant tether through the atmosphere. I to know try what you're to talking generate. about. Yeah. Right, and it breaks off, and it starts to illuminate while they're using infrared cameras. So it looks like a giant fluorescent bulb floating through space, and it starts to illuminate these craft, or what could be like described as giant amoeba, right? And, and they, they all got, look like those stones from the like the Dropa stones, yes. right? And they have the spiral on them and a little divot at the top. Uh, there's a little divot in the in the side. Well, that's the exact thing I drew in the center of that picture. So in 1977, I drew an event that happened in 1985. Yeah. With the space shuttles, with the craft, with the symbol from Sirius. Yeah, that's awesome. And a winged serpent on the other side. Yeah. Okay, so then I go to the Philadelphia Lodge and go to the Akhenaten Room. And there's that symbol again. Right in the center of the ceiling is the same symbol. And the, the Freemasons, their symbol for Sirius, is, uh, which is where these fish people were supposed to have come from, uh, is a, a blazing pentagram. And so around all of the, the X symbol that I had drawn on my space shuttle, in the Masonic Lodge in Philadelphia, they have the pentagrams all surrounding it with the blazing star. Because, and that's the room dedicated to Akhenaten, who was you know, reportedly a, a conehead, right? And a very bizarre and strange character in, in history. But you know, he, was, he, was the, he was the alien pharaoh, right? The renegade pharaoh that uh, had a conehead. So all adorned? these things were tying together. Is it adorned? Was it adorned with the the uh, Yod Hey Vod Hey pentagram or the inverted pentagram? Well, being that they were up on the ceiling in corners, uh, it was, yeah, 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 I couldn't really tell. Uh, but it, you know, typically the blazing star, which is what Freemasons uh, represent Sirius as, yeah, uh, it is an uh, upright pentagram. I'm going to put a link to that STS shuttle mission that you're talking about, the tether. That's one of my favorite, absolutely one of my favorite now, I took, videos. I took my artwork and I took the video and I superimposed the two together. And my drawing is exact. And then uh, David Serrata, another researcher who was getting into this, uh, he, he derived uh, concepts of hyperdimensional physics out of that very same video and and the spirals that were coming out of it Interesting. which are all in my picture that I drew when I was 10 years old I was drawing yeah. these pictures of hyperdimensional physics you know yeah. when i was a uh, kid uh, when i was a child i 
I had the, I have a very vivid imagination and I used to imagine, I remember I was really young. I was probably nine years old or something. And I was imagining a, a wheel with magnets uh, that would spin uh, um, and generate power. And, um, and I was kind of obsessed with it, but I, I forced myself to stop thinking about it because the, the, I, I've, I've grown up with a ego that likes to doubt myself. So that part of my ego just kept saying, Greg, you're, you're a stupid kid. What, what do you think you're inventing some type of exotic energy or something, you know, like, like quit being so stupid. <laughs> and then years, years later, um, I came across, uh, the Bedini wheel, which is uh, based on a Tesla technology where you can generate a mysterious high voltage pulse out of the DC current. Uh, and that's, and, and to do that, you basically make this thing exactly like what I imagined when I was a kid. That was probably the most interesting takeaway from that. You know, Edgar Casey will tell you that like we are we are all psychic. Uh, it's just a matter of of exercising that part of our mind or you know in my case, yeah, I, think I actually a lot of it, got the first I got the first training tape from SciTech uh, back in the day. I remember SciTech. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember SciTech. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still have that VHS. Um, so the so the Vatican is is associated with Sirius and then the British crown is a different the dragon. The dragon, yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Which is well, so most people are familiar with the reptilians, so we don't have to get too much. I mean, that's that's uh, that's what most people I think are familiar with when it comes to the alien baddies. Yeah, I thought everybody knew of merfolk. You know what I mean? Like, everyone <laughs> knows the mermaid, common. but and I think a lot yeah, of people are familiar say- with the pope hat thing. But um, but yeah, the fish people are are not talked about as often. And then the descriptions that exopolitics gives to these two races was another thing that absolutely compared perfectly to the British crown and the Vatican. So the description of what the Syrians are doing, and this is in my lectures, guys, if you want to watch, uh, the description that exopolitics gives to these two particular races actually fits exactly what what the crown and the, the Vatican are doing. Now, it was so bizarre when... Uh, Benjamin Funes and Consul Magno, the two lead astronomers of the Vatican, you know, the ones going off to the Lucifer telescope looking for for Goldilocks planets, came forward and uh, Funes said, uh, well, I I would baptize E.T. no matter how many tentacles they had. Hmm. And uh, Consul Magno said, well... These aliens did not suffer original sin because they weren't born here on Earth, so they're above us. And these were the lead Vatican astronomers saying mm. these things, walking around, broadcasting this all over. And the Vatican pretty much like runs the whole astronomy business. And right. It has for a long time, right? Exactly. Yeah. I want to make it clear that the Lucifer telescope was not built by the Vatican, was not named by the Vatican. A lot of people like to think that, but it was Germans that built the Lucifer telescope and named it Lucifer. Because uh, their concept of Lucifer is more Promethean than Satan. Right. And you can go look it up. There's no connection between Lucifer and Satan. I, can't I would agree. Find a single one. I would agree. My favorite, um, my favorite describer to me is... Uh, trying to think of his name, um, Rudolf Steiner, I think, who he doesn't use the word Satan. He uses the word Araman, but I, but what he said, but I think it's, I think he's describing 
shaitan, basically. I'm, I'm, I might be wrong. I mean, you're going to hear, you could argue with so many people about this. But what he basically says is, um, is Lucifer is, Lucifer, Lucifer will, is the God's most beautiful angel. And, um, where do people get that? I, I don't know, but I think they get it. I think they get it from Milton or Dante. It's wherever Rudolf Steiner's getting it from, I think, because according to Rudolf Steiner, you know, the divine, divine, yeah. Steiner dates it. Steiner says that Lucifer incarnated in like 3000 BC or something like that. And I, and I've tried to find where he's getting that information from, but I, I haven't found it. But basically what Steiner says is Luciferic energy is, it's not necessarily evil like Satan, whereas Satan and, or what he calls Araman is straight up destructive. What we're experiencing today, all this anti-human castration stuff, that's Satan, that's, that's uh, Araman. Whereas Lucifer is, uh, for example, um, if you ever have an out-of-body experience, um, a, a real, like an actual, like I'm not putting, I'm not saying it's not real, but a real out-of-body experience is considered to be Luciferic energy. And the danger with Lucifer is is thinking that that's where you should be and then spending your life trying to achieve that where God intends us to be in our body. God wants us to be present and accounted for, be in the moment, be in our body and have an experience. And we're here for a purpose. And if you get obsessed with Luciferic energy, you, you, you lose that purpose and you get lost. That's basically Steiner's idea of it. But that's a okay. whole segue. All right. Yeah, the, I read The Origin of Satan by a doctorate, and uh, the original Hebrew version of Satan was the mastema, a stumbling block. So there's a story in the Bible of Balaam and the talking donkey, and Balaam is trying to get his donkey to go up this hill, and the donkey's talking to him, saying, no, look, there's a Satan right there. Because in the Hebrew version, there are multitudes of Satans. They were they were uh, an army of God that would come down and, and try to stop you from doing something that you shouldn't be doing. So they called them stumbling blocks. Mm. And so in the story of Balaam and his talking donkey, it... it it clearly shows that Balaam doesn't listen to his donkey and continues to run forward to the state and, and uh, ends up in trouble. So, and the donkey's like, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, these are the stories in the Bible with dragons and talking donkeys. And, you know, I, I am always baffled that there's dragons in the Bible like that. That's, yeah. That's I just weird a, to me. I made a video on my Substack uh, about that recently um, that I. Half of it I basically ripped off of uh, Mr. Mythos has a video about, I think it's called, Was Yahweh a Dragon? <clears throat> and he cites the Torah uh, translate, you know, translated from Hebrew where it describes Yahweh as having a snout and breathing fire, um, demanding virgins and gold. And then it compares it to the dragon because in the book of Job there is a straight up dragon and he compares the passages with that dragon, and it sounds like they're describing a dragon. Yeah. Wouldn't that be wild? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like we finally realize that dragons are real too, and uh, once all this opens up and uh, the subterranean worlds start to come to the surface. and Yeah. yeah what well, would you rather see, a fake alien invasion or dragons? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd be way scared. More scared of a dragon, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Dragons, you need a cave. 
And even caves aren't that safe because that's kind of their home. You know, I just started watching a, a lot of Spielberg work uh, that was produced by Microsoft. And there was uh, Under the Dome, very interesting study of oh, yeah. what would happen with humans in a catastrophe scenario. And it's Spielberg, when you look at him, like his whole goal was to show uh, Americans as refugees. Like when he did uh, War of the Worlds, that was his main goal was to show Americans as refugees. And of course, under the dome, he's coupled with Stephen King. So it really gets, you know, the worst of humanity as they project that. But then there's this other one called Extent with uh, Holly Berry. And uh, this is also a Spielberg production, a TV series. And what's it, the one with Holly Berry called? Extant. Extant. I've heard it's of that. X T A N T. And it's all about the extinction of the human race by this alien virus as they come in and mentally take over. Uh, but that at the same time, uh, she her husband's building the robots that look like humans. So they've got both the alien hybrid story going on, coupled with the, uh, re the robot revolution. <laughs> and it's all tied up in this one massive story where they need the robots to fight the hybrid aliens that are taking over humans' bodies. And uh, so they could only use robots to fight them. And then the robots, you know, the AI takes over and uh, they end up killing everybody, you know, <laughs> or at least trying to. I haven't got to the end yet. Well, that's this. This is a this is a good way to segue to we can wrap it up with this subject right here is is the cyclic cataclysm. Now, this is kind of. Um, contradicts what I was saying earlier when I was saying I suspect what's happening with the fake alien invasion is um, is an excuse for them to come back to the surface and and rule from the surface. It, it could contradict it. it. It doesn't necessarily contradict it. But the one thing that the only thing like in my opinion, um, everyone I've heard out there saying this is what's going on. I think they're full of it. I I, I have yet to hear anyone explain what's going on where I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. The right. only, the only thing that makes sense to me is, is that there's a, a cyclic cataclysm that's been known about. I mean, and I'm, you're, I'm sure you're well aware of this. I'm sure a lot of the listeners are well aware of this. <clears throat> if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with Jason Bashir's archaics.com, I, I highly recommend it. It's great work. Uh, he documents it very well and shows that in the not too distant past, the the cataclysm was basically the main story. That's all people talked about. It was like that's all people cared about was uh, was this cyclic, regular occurring catastrophe. Obviously, not the end of the world, but violent enough that it will destroy all the toys that we build and civilization. <clears throat> the reason this explains everything for me is because you know the underground bases they've been building. Um, I could see depopulation the way it's happened. Like some people will say, well, they wanted it to be a lot worse than it was. Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they just wanted to, to do a like, eugenics 101 and kill off, you know, the sick and the elderly and the weak and, and be left with a more, you know, rigorous, hardy population that they can put to work and get the economy brewing so they can do whatever last minute efforts they have before they go underground. Um, it would seem to me their biggest goal would be 
not just to survive it, but to be able to come out with all their toys and all their tools so they can get right back to work and get back to the control grid and all that stuff. Um, the the amount of, of information out there on Cataclysm is endless. I want to do more work on it. One of my favorite little bits, and most people put this Cataclysm around 2040 and 2046 for various reasons, from all kinds of reasons. Basically, probably most commonly the sun cycle and the sun activity. Most people seem to agree that it's a solar event that happens. <coughs> Excuse me. But the one thing I'll leave it off with before I uh, hand it off to Freeman on this is one of my favorite recent bits uh, for many reasons, just because it's so novel, and this was done by Jason Brashears, is that everyone else got it wrong. Everyone ended the Mayan calendar on December 21st, 2012. Everyone, so many books written about it. I remember that was before I was like really red pilled. I was way into that. Jason Brashears pointed out and I, I, it took me hours to kind of like get my head around it and do all the math and back check it, but he's absolutely right. The Mayan calendar is not a year calendar. It's a day calendar. I don't think anyone's gonna argue that. It's, it's a calendar of days, not years. And in 700 and something BC, the year changed from 360 days a year to 365.24 days a year. Why that happened is up for debate. The official story is because people were stupid before then, and then all of a sudden they got smart, and they're like, oh, it's actually 365.24. But the Bible actually says that, they're, that the, uh, the sun shifted 10 degrees that year, and the angels killed like a, millions of people, and there was some massive cataclysmic event. So maybe the day actually did change, but either way you slice it, it doesn't matter. When you add up the days with that math, then the Mayan calendar ends in 2046. Hmm. Yeah, the hexadecimal system has always been kind of bizarre to me. The idea that we have 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an mm -hmm. hour or 360 right. degrees in a circle. Uh, you know, that could have been any number. And if it were, you know, normal for us, we would have done it as fives. Right, because the fives are normal for us. We can do 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, yeah. 30, 35, 40, you know, it's no problem. But you try and do 6, 12, 18, 24, Artificial, artificial intelligence likes to draw humans with six digits. It really does, yeah. <laughs> so you got to wonder if they didn't have, you know, six fingers back then. Uh, the six-fingered man, right? Right. <laughs> but if the year was 360 days, then that would make it more uh, more sensible than why yeah. they would have made that. Because uh, you could have made a circle any number of degrees. It didn't, you know, 30, 360 is just arbitrary, right? And it's but hard it, to, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's really, you can't say that they had 360 days a year because they were stupid. Because these are the same people that mapped out the entire solar system. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And well, I mean, not the solar system, the stars, you know, the, the whole thing. So. And that's the whole thing, right? Like how much effort was put into building these structures that followed long periods of time? You know, like things that follow the winter solstice over millennia. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. all the structures in the ancient past were designed to even Chaco Canyon and the Native Americans. If you guys think it's only in, in Samaria or other, there's Chaco Canyon in America where it tracks the stars. And so, yes, this was one major, major 
thing in in their world was, you know, when is the next catastrophe? Let's mm -hmm. keep this. And then the secret societies held all that knowledge, right? So yeah, they would be the ones that knew about the time that we would get into this situation. And Y2K again was another major year for this. And there were a number of us that when they put up the SOHO satellites, the solar observatory satellites, uh, we we were grabbing the most amazing images coming from the sun. I have one from December of 1999 that I took off the Soho myself, and I have a number of these, but this one was really weird. It had these pulses coming out of the sun, looks like a um, some sort of beam with rings shooting out of the sun. And I've passed this on to all the people that I know that study these phenomenon in the sun, and I've never gotten a response back. I'm like, this is the weirdest thing you're ever going to see, <laughs> and how is it that nobody even cares? So uh, the the solar flare cycle that occurred in Y2K was massive. It was 300 times anything anyone had predicted, and uh, – the weather, you could predict the, the major storms. Uh, you know, every time there was a massive X class solar flare that was Earth directed, three days later, there would be a superstorm somewhere on planet Earth. Yeah. And I was predicting these things using the sun. That's how the Farmer's Almanac does it. Yeah. I just, well, I just learned that recently. They're, they're notorious for being able to predict an entire year's worth of weather. And uh, that's how they do it. They, uh, it's like an ancient method. Yeah, yeah. People were like, and now they're they're agreeing. Now science is finally admitting that that's the case. But there was all kinds of freakish stuff going on in the sun in Y2K, and then it went completely blank. And uh, I remember that. Yeah, it just it's so yes. Cyclical catastrophes are something that are are part of our constant history, going you know all the way back, and. If if these secret societies have knowledge of this uh, space weather, if you will, you know, because if if we are in, you know, everything's gotten so hard to even say anymore. But I still focus on a heliocentric uh, solar system. With I won't, a, I won't uh, attack you for it. I know right. whenever I, whenever I do a for example, I just did a video on Atlantis, and I used for a thumbnail, I used the image of the Atlantic Atlant, um, not Atlantis. Antarctica Treaty, which makes sense because it's about Antarctica and it's a lot of it has to do with the Antarctica Treaty. But of course, uh, there's you know attacks in the comments from the flat earthers, whom yeah. I totally respect, <laughs> you know, calling me out for being you know a shill or a liar and stuff like that. Like, come on, give me a break, man. You got to pick your battles. <laughs> exactly. I, I do think we're living on a flat surface. That is one thing I do think. Right. Um, I don't press on it too hard because I understand who I'm dealing with when it comes to humanity, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And until I get into space uh, and look right, down. Right, exactly, you know? yeah. But, you know, the point really was that we wouldn't just be going through our solar cycles uh, a year, you know, or whatever going around the sun. Our, our sun would also be orbiting the galactic center, if this were the case. And so, therefore, there would be galactic seasons, but these seasons yeah. would be 26,000 years instead of one yeah. year. And so well, there is no matter how you cut it, whether it's a heliocentric or a geocentric, the great year still still applies. The great year is the cycle of these. You, you can chart it. 
Right. Cl Cliff High talks a lot about this, about uh, the distance we are from Galactic Center throughout this great year and the seasons, like what you're talking about. So if they knew the season, they knew winter was on the way, if you will, the, the great catastrophe is about to occur, then they, are, they know to prepare. Right. And that's what we're witnessing. I think that's what we're witnessing. That yeah. explains everything. The, here's a big one for me. Um, the idea of how you could get all these people on board with depopulation for control reasons doesn't make sense to me. But if you were to change that to they're doing it for the cataclysm, that, in my opinion, changes everything. Because when the story is, look, they're all going to die anyways, you know? Right. We're trying to preserve civilization, and so you got to do what you got to do. That, to me, makes a lot more sense. And then you look into the alien abduction phenomenon, and more than half the time when you listen to alien people that claim to have been abducted by aliens, whether they're being abducted by a black military or not, more than half of them are saying they're put in a chair and they're shown a holographic image of the Earth being destroyed, and they're told this is what's going to happen. You That's know? what I think happened to me. You know, I, I lost five hours after witnessing a giant rectangle over Daytona Beach, and then I started predicting the future, or at least it seemed like I knew what to pay attention to. Hmm. And I don't know what happened in those five hours. And a really bizarre connection to that was that uh, I had a friend with me. And so on our way home, we, we could not recognize anything. Like I live one turn off the highway, but I couldn't recognize where we were, or where my street was or anything. Somehow we got home, you know, how you do just on autopilot or whatever. But then uh, it turns out that my friend ended up living in every state that I lived in. Un unbeknownst to either one of us. Yeah. Uh, so when I lived in Texas, he lived in Texas. When I lived in Kansas, he lived in Kansas. Huh. And I lived in Florida, he lived in Florida. And he currently lives in South Carolina. Huh. And we don't talk, right? We don't know each other. Uh, you know, since college, we have, you know, I just ran into him again and, and found out he was here. And I just accidentally ran into him in Kansas, you know? And um, does he look identical to you? No, <laughs> no, we're really nothing curious. alike. But uh, he, he, I, I asked him if he wanted to come on the show and talk about our experience, and he's like, "Well, I don't really, really remember enough to talk about." But do you remember seeing Future Orlando? And I was like, "No shit," because all along I had always thought that. So we wait, this guy seen... experienced the missing time with you? Yeah. So you were with this guy in Daytona, and you both blanked out for five hours. Yeah. When we was that? This, How long ago was that? Okay, so we had just graduated from interdisciplinary studies. Now, interdisciplinary studies is a, uh, is a college course uh, brought to you by the Club of Rome. <laughs> so the first book we read in that was Limits to Growth. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I was fully indoctrinated. But that was 91 to 93 that I did that. And in 93, we graduated and we went to spring break. 91 is a big year, I think, for this whole... It really was. Yeah. It was a weird-ass time. But so uh, it was 1993 when this happened. And... We were out sitting on a lifeguard stand. It was about 10 p.m. at night, and we were getting ready to go hit the party. There was thousands of people just on the strip of Daytona Beach, you know what I mean? Spring break, just filled with people. And we're just two blocks over at the beach. You could see the strip from the beach. A lot of people have had missing time in a, in a crowd. 
you know, I've, a well, lot we weren't know, in a crowd. We were alone on a lifeguard stand at the beach. Everybody else was back at right. the park. Well, still, I mean, that's why, like in daytime with like people around and no one notices it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have cover memories from a kid, from being a kid. So I'm pretty sure I've been abducted my whole life, but I don't know, you know, and I don't run with that story. I don't present myself as somebody that's been sure. abducted, but this, this story happened. Um, just like the giant flying V that flew over us and we met the high priest of the church to say, uh, that happened, you know what I mean? But this was bizarre because this uh, was like a giant rectangle, almost like a window opened in the sky. And uh, we're sitting there looking at it and we think, you know, just a minute had passed and I don't remember the craft leaving. And again, it was a box, all right? It was a giant rectangle. It was, you know, it just looked like a window in, into the- You know, I the, saw the same thing. Um, the first time I ever did acid, I was young. I was 12 years old. Oh, I was 13. And uh, I was with a friend of mine and we were, we were sitting on his roof, the roof of his house in Shaker Heights, Ohio. And uh, this is near the end of our trip. And we were just looking at the clouds. And when the window opened in the sky- um, we both said something at the same time. Like we both saw it at the same time. It was very strange. Yeah. Yeah. We were sitting there pointing at it, dumbfounded, flabbergasted. So I didn't see it leave, or at least I don't remember it leaving, but I remember my finger following it, which is weird, but that's what I remember is yeah. my finger following it. So we jumped off the like lifeguard. E. Yeah. <laughs> we jumped off the lifeguard stand and ran back to the strip because we wanted to tell anyone and everyone what had just happened. And we start walking down the middle of the Daytona Strip and it's empty, completely void of people. We're mm. thinking we're in some twilight zone. We think everybody else got abducted and we're the last people on the planet. I mean, there should have been tens of thousands of people around us and we couldn't figure this out because, you know, for us, it was still 10 p.m. But it was actually now four in the morning and everyone was gone. Huh. Yeah. And we finally ran into some kids and found out what time it was and drove home. And that's when we couldn't recognize anything on the way home. And it was it was really bizarre. And then next thing I know, I start basically predicting the future, you know, knowing the proper things to watch for. So I was watching for when when Bill Clinton was taken down for the extramarital affair for inserting a, a cigar into the vagina of his secretary, Monica Lewinsky. And they put that on the news, you know. I said, oh my God, they don't do this to a president. Like, you know, even if he did insert a cigar into his secretary's vagina, I don't think that that should be something that they bring up on, uh, you know, with the president yeah. uh, on, on TV. And he's yeah. uh, Clinton sitting there turning purple, taking bathroom break yeah. after bathroom break. It was so, very strange. It was kind of that moment that set everything in motion for me to see. I said, okay, well, they're going to force the next president into office. You know, now we've lost faith in the man, the president. So next we should lose faith in the system. So they're going to force the next president into office and make it obvious. And then they forced W into office and they made it obvious through Jeb Bush. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, that's the conspiracy, right? Not not the fact that he was forced in, but the fact that they are doing this for you to lose your, your faith in the system. Yeah. And so then I said, well, the next president won't be an American. And they, they brought out the birther movement. And I was like, no, exactly. The birther is the conspiracy, not the, not the truth. That is the conspiracy. You're supposed to lose faith in, in the Constitution in this whole sense. And so, you know, I just kept 
like seeing the puzzle unfold. And I kept saying where things, you know, like I said, hey, there's going to be major terrorist attack on 9-11. Don't freak out. It's all for your reaction. And then it happened and everybody freaked out on me, you know, and like, how did you know? How did you know? The story and, of. I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, no, it was just I knew what puzzle pieces to put together for some weird yeah. reason. After that experience. And the story of of living in the same state with this guy, uh, that's not like like a crazy foreign-sounding story. Like when you get into the stories of abductions and stuff, that's almost typical. <clears throat> I had a missing time experience um, uh, in the Marine Corps um, around other people and no one else noticed. And I do have... Um, there was a period where I had a suspicion of an alien abduction, but like you said, I don't really, you know, I, it was very vague and, and I don't know what was going on, <clears throat> but I know, um, unless you have anything else to add, I want to end hearing about this, seeing a triangle shaped craft and then meeting the head of the church of Satan. I don't, I think I vaguely, <laughs> I think I vaguely remember hearing about this, but I, I, I want to hear it again. Yeah, we tried to have it on video as well, but my camera could not pick up the craft. Um, it you had a camera with you and you tried taping it and it wouldn't tape it? That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's just black. Uh, yeah. You can hear us yelling. You can hear us. So we're, we're driving to a conference called ESO Zone, and it was an esoteric conference in Portland, Oregon, where uh, a lot of magicians were going to be on stage speaking you know, ceremonial magicians and things of like that. But I got invited because my friend was running it. And uh, so I've got me and four other guys in the car. My friend is driving. It's my car, but he's driving at this point. And we're going up the highway in Utah coming upon Ogden. Now, Ogden, Utah happens It's a very interesting be, place, Ogden. Yeah. It, it's where all of the, the west side of the U.S.'s taxes returns are, yeah. are, are done. And there's this extraterrestrial Mormon temple there. Yep. Like, it's freaky, a freaky temple there. Very just, ah, it's, it's, it just sets you... Anyway, so very big Mormon town. And uh, the land of the giants in the Bible was Og. And so this being the den of Og or Ogden... Uh, it that Mormon temple kind of looks like a temple for giants. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, being that I was riding with a couple of ritual magicians, they happened to notice that we were being put through a pentagram because we were suddenly there was a, a detour off of the highway and we were forced into Ogden, Utah. And then had to make five lefts to, to get back to the highway. And my friend's like, We're, they're putting us in a pentagram ritual. <laughs> okay? Which could be true. Uh, yeah. But so we're heading up the highway outside of Ogden. I don't remember the number now. Um, but as we're driving, we, you know, we're in the desert. We're in, there's a mountain range on our right and, and just flat plain on the, on the left. And I see this uh, gorgeous looks part of the country. Yeah, <laughs> but it looked like a giant planet. You know how sometimes planets are really big, and it looked like a really, although it was too big. And so it kept getting bigger and bigger, and this this light just kept coming to, and I realized it was coming at us. So I pointed out to everybody in the car, and I get the camera ready, and I'm hanging out of the car while we're driving 60 miles down the highway, and. All of a sudden, it, it flies over us. It couldn't have been more than 10,000 feet up because it flew right over the mountain range to our right. But uh, it had 
plasma balls underneath it. Actually, it was described by the guy in um, the guy. A who triangle with plasma balls is a very common. Okay, it wasn't a yeah. triangle. It was a chevron, a V. Okay. All right, but you could not see the craft at all. Like all you could see was the glow of the orbs. You but you could kind of make it out because of the the stars behind. Um, so you can see that it wasn't a triangle; it was a V. But chevrons it, are also very. You're gonna lots of people have seen chevrons with the orbs. Well, it's the very craft that's described by the guy in the uh, in the recent Greer. Oh, and really? The, and it was the very same craft described uh, at the Phoenix Lights. That's right, definitely. Yeah. And uh, but there's a guy who suffered brain damage. He's at the very end of the press conference uh, that Greer just gave. Okay. And I didn't see the whole thing. I got to watch the whole thing. Yeah, he's the last one to speak. And he describes the craft exactly uh, that we saw, including the little craft that was following it. And uh, he described that as well. So I, I, I instantly uh, called my friends that were with me and told them about the Greer thing. Like, hey, they're describing the craft, though, because I was watching it live. Yeah. But um, so... This thing just flew right over us, and you know, I tried to film my friend's reaction to it because I could tell that it wasn't coming out on the camera; that it was just black. And uh, so I, I sat back in the back seat and I filmed the reaction of the kids in the front seat, just to wait and see if they would describe it or what they would do after this incident. And so I didn't mention I had the camera running, and they're just sitting there debating. With an, uh, a false enemy, you know, like as if somebody was arguing with what they had seen. And they're sitting there saying, well, it wasn't helicopters and it wasn't this. It was obviously a V-shaped craft. And well, they didn't ever describe it, actually. They just kept saying, well, it wasn't helicopters and it wasn't this. And I was sitting there in the back like, come on, guys, describe it, you know, in my head. Like, just describe it on camera without me saying anything, you know. And they wouldn't. They just kept arguing with this uh, person that wasn't there, <laughs> somebody that was doubting the story that didn't exist and anyway so i finally get him to start to describe it on the camera and i have all of this it's uh esoteric adventures but no it's called isobites is what that one's called and all of these are on rockfin now because i'm banned from awesome. youtube it used to all just be able to go to freemantv.com and watch it and listen to everything but now i am dispersed and I'm trying slowly to grab everything and bring it back together. So freemantv.com uh, is where you'll get my podcasts and all of the audio work. And right now, my videos are on Rockfin, and you got to be a member of rockfin.com uh, slash freemantv to get to them. But eventually, I'll make them all free again. I just wanted a safe place to store them until I could figure everything out where I wanted to go. I'll probably move them to Rumble or, you know. And I'm guessing that you met the head of the Church of Satan at the conference. At the ESO yeah. yeah. So here I am up on stage about to give, or I'm giving my talk, and I have a, a an 11-minute video that I show. And Rex Diabolus Church, the head of the Church of Satan, or you know, one of the high priests, was in my presentation. And 
I I use this break to jump and get off stage for a minute and go, you know, just get off stage for a second, let the video play. And I, I see I see Rex Diabolus Church right in front of me. Of course, I never met him. And I, he's in my lecture and I don't know if he's going to like it or not, you know, and I'm freaking out because the guy has horns and is drawn, you know, he's all in black leather with his pentagrams and stuff. And I'm freaking out. And he had the mark of the beast on the back of his head which is the symbol for the X-Files. That's the last thing I want to leave you guys with. Uh, you know, The high priest of the Church of Satan has the mark of the beast on the back of his head. And I knew of this mark through the Typhonian magic order, which is the order that deals with black magic and extraterrestrials. Uh, and... It's the it's the X Men logo. It's the X Files logo. It's the Xbox logo. It's the O and the X. If you look it up, and now when you that's go Elon with, Musk, that's his thing now. He, he did to, everything's X, right? Yeah, yeah SpaceX, X dot com, X. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the original. A PayPal. lot of people predict that Twitter is eventually going to become X dot com. Yeah. Well, O X if. Uh, now, here's, here's our final tie-in for the extraterrestrials, the fish people and everything, and Satan. Um, so just to be clear, this is on the back of the satanic's head. And it was something that I already knew about before I met Rex Church. It's even in my lecture. But uh, the O and the X is a symbol that the black magicians say is the actual mark of the beast. And it is known as the sigil of Nodens. And if you go look up Noden, you're going to find out that he is looks just like the father of little. You cut out just now. He looks just like the father of what? Hello? The king of Atlantis. The, okay, the king uh, of can Atlantis. Can you not hear me? Uh, you, you, last thing I heard is, is if you look up Noden, you'll find he looks just like. Yeah, the, the, the father of the little mermaid okay and the king of atlantis so nodens is where they get the mark of the beast which is the x files symbol the ox uh and it represents a fish being <laughs> right it's right back to the fish being all right yeah, yeah. that's a great way to wrap it up if you if you're interested if you're interested in Checking out more of this, I got the links below for where you can see Freeman. I'm also going to throw, a, you know, a few things I have down here that we talked about: the chemtrails video and uh, the aliens from hell video. Throw on that archaics too, because I want to see that. I will. I'll throw archaics in there. You would love archaics.